Welcome to See You Succeed with Viridian. My name is Kristen Kennan and I will be your host. I'm excited to bring you on a journey that will teach you about all things financial services and how Viridian can help you achieve your goals. Welcome back to See You Succeed. Today we have Brett Ingstrom, our Chief Information Officer with us to talk about some technology. Welcome to the podcast, Brett. Thank you. Nice to talk to you, Kristen. Today we're going to talk about technology in the financial industries. Even from the time that you and I have started at the credit union, it's changed drastically, right? Today we want to talk about some of those common tech-based products that are maybe newer or people don't know about when it comes to finances that Viridian offers, as well as maybe some other commonly known platform. With that, let's dive into mobile wallets first. For someone that may not be familiar with that terminology, mobile wallet, can you explain to us a little bit what that is and how it's used? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, Mobile wallet is uh, exactly what it sounds like, really. It's an app-based wallet that lives on your mobile, mobile device rather than in your purse or pocket. So it can store and manage your credit cards, reward cards, or even boarding passes if you're flying. Uh, A few popular wallets most of us have heard of are Apple Pay and Google Pay. As far as how they work, once a mobile wallet is installed on your mobile device, you start by entering in the card information you want to be used. And then in some cases, you can even use the phone's camera to automatically read card information. But even if you enter it manually, it only takes a few minutes. Once you set it up, you typically set one card as the default payment method. However, you can use a different one anytime you're purchasing. I strongly suggest using Viridian's signature card as your default payment method, but then again, I'm a little biased. (laughs) After your wallet is set up, you can pay using your phone, your tablet, or even your watch. If you have an Apple Watch, for example, I sometimes use that uh, to pay as well. Um, You can pay at any digitally enabled terminal. The easiest way to identify these is by looking for the symbol that looks to me like a Wi-Fi symbol turned on its side, otherwise four backward Cs that get progressively bigger. Um, This symbol means that the terminal accepts contactless payments. It's important to note that that means you can use either your your phone or digital wallet, but you can also use contactless cards at the same symbol. So uh, both your phone and enabled cards work using this near-field communication chip. Yeah, and there's some technology features that are in included in that. So for people that maybe don't know like the back end of how that works, can you talk a little bit about that security and that tokenization aspect and how that kind of all plays together? Sure, absolutely. Um, the way they work is, I mean, all both of these actually with a card or a, a mobile wallet, it's going to use an, an NFC chip or new, near field communication, and uh, it encrypts all of your information. So when you put the card information into the wallet, it's actually encrypted at rest and it's encrypted anytime you use it. So that makes it pretty secure. It's also protected by uh, the same security features as your phone. So unlike a card, if you need to use a fingerprint scan or even face ID to get into your phone, it's not as accessible and, and subject to theft in that way as well. The transactions are actually tokenized. And what what tokenization means is instead of transmitting the actual credit card number, they use a single use token. So even if it was intercepted, it would be useless to the potential fraudster. So tokenization makes it just that much more secure. So you talked about tap to pay um, in that example with the little symbol that is on the the card reader itself at the merchant. Another example of the tap to pay is on our plastic cards. So all of our credit and debit cards now have that capability and that functionality to do the tap and pay. So you kind of talked about how that works. Is there anything different with that or any other features of our credit cards and debit cards that you'd want to mention? Sure. That's a great question. I'm glad you mentioned it. The same the same symbol that's on the readers at the point 
point of sale is actually on all those cards. So if you wonder if the card that you have, whether it's ours or someone else's, has that, it typically has that same uh, that same contactless symbol on it, which will tell you that it works. Um, as far as which terminals you can use them at, it would be the same exact ones that you can use Apple Pay, Google Pay, or any of the flavors of mobile wallets. The other features that our cards have, um, and, and you can tell our new cards because they're turned sideways if you, and, and the, the credit card number's on the back. So if the card number's on the back and it has that symbol on it, then you know you should be good to go for contactless payments. The A couple of the features that we've added in addition to that on our, our plastics recently, we have added card controls, which um, if you go to either our digital banking on the app or in the desktop version, you can find uh, the card controls under our card central widget. And they allow you to, to do things like turning the card on and off. And I know some people might ask, well, why in the world would I want to turn my card on and off? And the main reason for that is if you actually think that you might have lost your card, misplaced it, or even if it was stolen out of your car or, or any other reason, you can quickly go in there and turn off your card instantly. Now, if you actually find that that the card never shows up, you're still going to contact Viridian to reissue the card to block your current one, etc. However, um, turning it off and on is so easy to do that, you know, some of uh, my security conscious friends, you might even use the word paranoid or uh, hypervigilant. <laughs> if you wanted to be the most secure you could possibly be, technically, you could leave your card off all the time and only turn it on when you're going to use it. So you turn on the card, you buy something online, you turn the card back off and, and you leave it off until the next time you're going to use it, especially if it's a card that you use occasionally. Like So it's really cool in that way where technically you can make the card only on for the moment that you're going to make a purchase. Now, do most people do that? No, because it's not convenient and, and it would typically be more trouble than mm -hmm. it was worth, but you could do that if you wanted to. The other things you can do with card control are really around uh, alerting and setting limits, things like that. A few examples would be if I wanted to set a spending limit, like I'll use my son for an example. I have I have a high school son who I have uh, set up as a uh, an authorized signer on one of my credit cards just because I want him to be able to stop and get gas and things like that without carrying a bunch of cash. Well, what I can do is I can either set it up where it's going to only allow a certain threshold where if it's over $50, it just won't work. My preference is something a little less heavy handed. So I set it so that he can he can use it however he wants, but it's going to notify me anytime a transaction is over $80. So if he, if he goes and spends $95 at a gas station, it's going to immediately send me alert. And it's important to note that even if it's the same card, the same plastic, if you have three members or three family members using the same card, Card, they're still going to have different credit card numbers and you can set up different alerts for each person. So I can set up different alerting for say how myself or my wife would use a credit card than my son. And obviously I would because <laughs> with my son, he's just learning how to spend money and be responsible with it. Um, so I can, I can set some more granular alerts in his case. So yeah, and back to your example about turning off when you're not using it. Another example, I also have like a, a health savings account card. So the ones you don't use very often, I've heard people set limits on those. So that way, if for fraud protection, if something starts coming through and you're not used to using that card, you're going to get notifications of that. So it's just another layer of being able to monitor your cards for potential fraud and being vigilant about it. For sure. And that's a great example. And I've even heard of people setting a, you know, setting the alert at $5 or even $1. So it tells them anytime it gets used at all. So great example. We have a couple other features on our cards. So instant issuance. So if we don't know what that is or hadn't heard that, tell all of our members what they can do at all of our branches. Instant issuance is essentially you go to any of our branches and when you apply for a credit card, uh, we can hand you the credit card before you walk out the door. So you don't have to wait for the card to come in the mail. We can, we can issue the card and print it right there um, on site. So that's 
it's really convenient. You, you really don't have to wait. So now if you're going to order online and you don't have a branch near you, you know, fear not, we still, we do have the ability to mail you the card as well. So the instant issuance isn't instead of doing it by mail. It just means that if you actually do it in a branch, we can hand it to you before you leave. And another great feature. So if you do have fraud or you lose your card and you need a new one printed and you're near a branch, you can have that taken care of right away. So you're not without that piece of plastic, you know, for that two weeks or whatever it takes to get in the mail. So any other features on our cards that we want to mention? Really? I mean, some of the features is what's up and coming as well, where um, we have a, a brand new signature card. That's uh, awesome. It's really competitive. It has 2% cash back, no annual fees. Plus the design's really cool. When I travel, I've actually had people comment on, wow, this is really a cool card. Where'd you get that? <laughs> the uh, other things, there's a few things that are actually in the hopper that we're working on. And we're hoping soon to be able to actually do digital issuance, where if you actually sign up for a credit card online or on our app, you can you can actually provision that card, get it into your digital wallet without even waiting at all. So it's kind of like what Apple is doing today, because it's all in an enclosed system where they can control all the endpoints. Um, we really, our end goal is to be able to issue that card digitally. And that way in your lost or stolen example, not only can we instant issue it at the branch, we can go a step further and, and issue it directly to your device and you don't even have to go into a branch at all. So that's, that's what's coming. We don't have that yet. So I guess I shouldn't call it as a feature. That's, uh, that's something that we definitely envision. Having. I know you mentioned that we have a new card design and like all of the numbers are on the back. In addition to that, like very recently we've rolled out Braille. So the ability to have Braille cards, if that's something that a member is interested in, that is something that we've recently rolled out as well. Very true. Peer-to-peer payments or P2P, if people have heard of that, it's really taken off the last several years. So if people don't know what P2P means, typically we're referring to -to person-to-person payments. So we're talking like Venmo, PayPal. So being able to pay other people. Let's talk about those type of payments and some things to keep in mind. So a big question with those is, are they safe? Anything that you want to share regards to those type of platforms? Yes, absolutely. That's that's a loaded question as far as are they safe? Because the, the short answer is they can be safe. <laughs> um, like anything, you really need to use them with caution. I know there's, um, you know, the, the number one thing I like to tell anyone who's using any flavor of P2P is, is to make sure that they're using it for what they're intending. In other words, you're paying someone you know, you're expecting to pay that person, they're expecting to receive payment or vice versa. In other words, it's not something that just comes out of the blue. So some of the most popular fraud methods, I guess, uh, for someone using P2P would be, you know, they'll actually take advantage of it coming from someone you know. So like I might get a message from you, Kristen, that says, and it's an email from you that says, Kristen would like, is, is requesting payment from you. She'd like to, you know, borrow $200, whatever the case, it'll it'll actually sound like it's coming from you. But you really have to stop and think about that and say, would Kristen actually ask me for $200? Probably not. And if the answer is no, you should contact Kristen in another way, preferably by actually picking up, picking up a phone and calling or texting right. somewhere where you actually know for sure that it is her. So um, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the one of the things to really avoid with P2P. So they can be safe. They are, everything's encrypted. Uh, the other thing that I would say is a cautionary word about P2P is that it can be really hard or if not impossible to reverse those payments. Uh, so you don't want to use um, some of these methods in a way where you think you might need payment back or you n- might need to return something. Friends and family is a good example of how, uh, I guess, a good way to use P2P or, or at least a safer way. Another thing to mention about P2P is that there's so many different 
versions of P2P and, and really none of them are, if someone says, what's the best, I, I don't really have a good answer for that because it really depends on what you're using it for. Um, each one kind of has pros and cons or use cases that would be most common. I guess a couple examples would be, you know, Zelle is, is popular. It's an instant bank transfer, but it doesn't, it's not compatible with cards and it's only compatible with banks that are banks or credit unions that are, are, um, are partnering with Zelle currently. So their network is limited as well. Uh, Venmo, uh, is another example where if you have a, a broad base of friends who are using Venmo, then it's extremely useful. And, and really how the network grows is the first time someone tries to pay you and they say, hey, let me Venmo you, you know, a hundred bucks. Of course, you're going to sign up for Venmo because you want to receive the hundred hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, Cash app is known for work investors. PayPal is known for high limits and, and used for purchases like on eBay and things like that, where, where a high limit's important. But but they some of these same same payment methods have have their drawbacks. You know, for example, you can use a credit card to back your P2P payment, or you can store the transfer and then and then transfer it directly from the app. The disadvantage of tying it to a credit card is that they will typically fee you, you know, two or three percent for each transaction. And while that's convenient, obviously it's not ideal to get a three percent fee for everything you do. So, um, so so again, I, I would just encourage people to shop around depending on what their use case is and what they actually want to use it for. Um, you know, that there's there are lots of review sites out there that tell you, you know, when should I use Apple Pay and when should I use Google Pay? And, you know, Apple Pay is great if, if everyone you hang around with has Apple phones. But, you know, it's like, what if you're what about your two Android friends? You know, and the, the answer to that is, you yeah. ex- right, right. You don't <laughs> leave them out. And but they can use Google Pay. And, and actually what some people don't even realize because they don't think about it is that Google Pay um, can work just as well on an iPhone. You can actually install Google Pay on an iPhone. It's just that a lot of the iPhone users tend to gravitate towards Apple Pay, mainly because you can use some other features like using, uh, you can send uh, send money via app, via the messaging app and things like that. So there's there's other advantages to using Apple Pay. Yeah. And if you have friends and family that that um, have their accounts at Viridian, um, if you didn't know, you can set up to be able to transfer money between accounts in your online or mobile app. So if I owe my sister money, she has an account here, I can transfer money right through our app. So I don't have to worry about some of those fees that maybe other P2P um, platforms have in place. So um, if you know that they have an account where you have an account, there could be some opportunities there that are free already for you. So check into that if that's something that you might be interested in as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And our member-to-member transfers, I mean, there's it's instant and it's its easy. You can set it up and, and be able to do it anytime you want. So uh, that's a great point. Um, that, that sometimes you may not even need a, a, a P2P app to be able to do something mm-hmm. that's already available inside of our apps. So. Absolutely. So as we know, things continue to evolve and change. And we've talked a little bit about fraudsters. You know, they evolve right along with us. They keep getting smarter and trickier. And what are some things that people may just want to be aware of when it comes to fraud and some of these platforms and things to keep in mind just to make sure they're keeping their information secure? That's a great question. I know one of the first things I tell people and I tell my kids, kids and my family members is that, you know, passwords are so important. And one of the best things is to avoid using the same password for everything. And I know it's tempting because you're like, you know, if I just use the same password everywhere I go, that's great, right? Well, just remember that as soon as that gets compromised or published somewhere or cracked, then they have the keys of the kingdom. They can get into your mobile banking, your digital wallet, everything that you do, your whole online life. So uh, I would definitely recommend using a password vault, which is a place you can securely store 
warrior passwords or like me, I, I don't even use a password vault typically because I, I tend to use passphrases instead of passwords. And the way a passphrase works, and I'll try not to go on about this all day because it's actually kind of fun to talk about, is a passphrase is, is coming up with something that appears to be a nonsense, but it actually makes sense to you and is easy to remember. So an example might be if I have a favorite song that I like to listen to, the first line of that song, I might take the first letter of each word in that first line of that song. Mm -hmm. And when I look at that string of characters, it's going to look like it means nothing. But to me, it does, you know, so that that's an example of a technique you could use for past phrases. For a while, it was popular to use a common word or a spouse's name and replace uh, letters with symbols. Uh, like mm -hmm. a, an S is a dollar sign and an A is an at symbol and things like that. I would not recommend doing that because I think at this point, all the password uh, cracking tools and the tools that the fraudsters have at their disposal can easily crack those and, and uh, substitutions of certain characters is one of the first things they do. So, mm -hmm. so I, I would, at one time I said, I suggested that as a good thing to do. It's, it's still, it's not that it's a bad idea. It's that that in and of itself uh, shouldn't be relied on to protect you. Um, the longer the password, the better. If, 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 uh, if a website allows an 18 character password, I recommend using an 18 character password, not a, you know, if their minimum is a five character passcode, I'd still do the 18 because the, every character you add adds the complexity and how much time it would take someone to actually uh, come up with that password uh, using tools to get through it. So you mentioned a password vault. Is there like, is that like, is there apps for that kind of thing? Or do you have any like tools that you would recommend if someone's interested in something like that? Sure. I mean, one that I that comes to mind, there's one called KeyPass. And that one I mentioned because I know it's free and it's you can download it and it's and it's it's available. I think there's an app version as well. I usually just use it on my PC, but that's an example of one. And they'll actually generate random passcodes as well. I don't typically use the the random generated ones, while that that's the absolute most secure thing you can do is just have a have a random string of characters, including um, everything from special characters. I mean, those are very secure. The problem with those obviously is if you don't have that vault with you at all mm -hmm. times, you know, you, you can't come up with those passwords. So, um, but right. the, again, if you, if you want to be absolutely as secure as you can be, that would be the best way to do it as a, a randomly generated passcode. That's as long as it can possibly be. Great. Now, as far as our account information, um, making sure our members are being good stewards with their information, what are some things that members should keep in mind when it comes to their account information, just to make sure that they're keeping everything safe? Yeah, I think the number one thing that people overlook is just the prevalence of social engineering. And that's where someone will just, it's the low tech version of hacking where I, the way I hack is just to call you up and, or maybe email you and just, and just ask you for your account information. And they, they use every method imaginable to make it sound very legit. You know, they'll call you on your phone and say, you know, this is George from your financial institution. You know, we, we have reason to believe that your credit card's been compromised and, you know, we've locked it down. But uh, what I need to do is get your um, your username and password so we can confirm who you are so that we can send you a new card. Otherwise, you, your card's going to get declined every time you use it. So they'll, they'll say things like that to try to panic you or to make you give information before you stop and think about what they're actually asking you to do. So, um, mm -hmm. so I'd, I would say the absolute most important thing to do is, is to not share your account information, your login details, your credit card information with anyone, because um, I can tell you someone from Viridian is never going to call you and ask you for your username and password. Same with your credit card information. So if someone is calling you and asking you for sensitive data or your social social security number, anything like that, it is almost certainly fraud and something you shouldn't just uh, readily give out. 
Yeah. And if it is someone that's calling and saying it's Brody Credit Union, you know, certainly give us a call, even if it's something that's not, or you mistakenly maybe did give out a, your credit or debit card number, call us right away so that we can put measures in place to either block the card or monitor things just to make sure that we're keeping you safe as well. So. Yeah, it's it's always better to tell us. I know we've we've had several in, uh, situations where members, you know, a lot of times they'll give the information out to someone who's uh, doing social engineering or committing fraud of some sort, and they'll realize almost as soon as they hang up the phone or after they maybe click on a link they shouldn't have on an email form, you know, and they they call us almost right away. I think I messed up. You know, <laughs> I think I might have done something that I shouldn't have, and that's it's always best because then we can block the card, we can reissue, and and you know take precautions to make sure and help you keep an eye on your accounts after something like that happens. Um, So I know you mentioned a few things that are up and coming when it comes to like our cards, but are there any other new trends like in the financial industry when it comes to technology that you're excited about or that you want to share about? One of the things I'm most excited about is just the the movement in the payment industry. There's there's this huge push right now towards faster payments in all in all different types of transactions. So we're seeing that come about both in standard the standard ACH. You know, we're seeing where things used to take one to three days, and the Fed adds a- extra windows and and extra processing time. So even in the same day, you know, there's same day ACH now. So that so everything is moving in the direction of faster, and uh, it's going all the way to the to now where where there's some availability with real-time payments. And that's something that Viridian is actually working towards as well. Uh, both our partners as well as members who's, who will use some of our services, you know, we want to we want to make it so that they can do real-time payments whenever possible. So that's that's really exciting to me. Just just moving from a world where everything takes one to three days to to when things can be instantaneous. So that's exciting. Definitely the Amazon idea, like you know, get it fast, get it done, get it now. Definitely things are moving in that direction, and the financial industry is is no exception to that. Right. Um, Brett, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today? Actually, there is. The the um, advances that are happening around data right now are, are really exciting to me. Um, we're able to use, I mean, we've always had access to just mountains of data, right? But we don't always have the ability to, to cipher through all that data and use it and and, and uh, take advantage of, of how that data can be used for us. AI or artificial intelligence is something where, you know, we can take some of that data and, um, and really put it to use. Uh, for example, call center technology is really taking off right now. So being able to anticipate what members want, detect their voice, use voice commands, and really even even things like chatbots where you hear um, the most common questions that members are going to ask about, you know, like they might say, you know, what's my balance or what's your rate on a certain type of loan? You know, these chatbots will answer those questions and make it so you don't even need to have a live agent do it. And, you know, you might say, well, that's less personal. I don't know why that's an advantage. It actually is because then the live agents are available to answer some of the more complicated questions or the more personalized service you might need as a member. So, you know, while the chat bot is answering the question, you know, what's your rate, you know, or what are your hours and your branches, you know, a hundred or a thousand times a day, this other agent is is available live with a very short hold time, you know, to answer your questions about a certain type of loan that you're considering or a certain type of investment you're thinking about. So, So that's another example. Very cool. Lots of exciting stuff happening. Brett, I want to thank you for being here today. A lot of great information. I hope people found value in it. I know I learned things and I've been at the credit union a long time. So there's always new and exciting things happening. Thank you, Kristen. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. See You Succeed with Viridian can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. 
I speak for all of us at Viridian when I say we want to see you succeed. See you next time. The views expressed on this podcast are not provided as financial advice for the listener's given situation. All attempts are made to present accurate information and details may become outdated as time passes after this podcast is published. Viridian Credit Union, founded in Waterloo, Iowa, is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration and is an equal housing opportunity lender. The music featured in this podcast is Creative Corp, composed by Music Premium. Find it on Envato Market.